Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Shabbat Shalom, Rabbi Schatz. Thank you, Rabbi Shapiro. We're going to be talking about Parshat Pinchas. Are we? Yeah. And um, we know that we have chosen the correct verses, both of us, today. Though last week was definitely fun to be a little bit on my toes. Um, We're doing chapter 28, verses 1 through 3. Oh, mm mm-hmm. so I'm going to kick it off to Rabbi Shapiro to take us through the Parsha a bit, and then uh, we'll get into our actual verses that we both prepared <laughs> for this morning. All right. What if I just presented different verses? What would you do? Would you just tell me I'm wrong? Yeah. Okay. Um, Parshat Pinchas it is. What if I prepped the wrong Parsha? Um, nope. It's that would never fun. happen. That would not, well. I said to Rabbi Shad, since I was off for a couple of weeks, I, I was, it's, help, it's helpful to have this class to remind me what Parsha it is. It's really helpful. Um, okay. We are picking up in chapter 27, but we're not, I'll, I'll dance through it quickly. Most of the first part of chapter 27 has little, if anything, to do with the verses we'll be focusing in on only insofar as it's the narrative right beforehand. Um, which is the narrative of Benot Sovchad, which you might not have been familiar with before this week, but if you've probably heard cited any number of places uh, around the Temple Betham system uh, already uh, over the past couple of days, um, Benot Sovchad, who seem to be left propertyless after their father passes away, uh, and there is not yet legal remedy for them to inherit their father's property, uh, at which point they come forward saying, hey, uh, this is not groovy, Moshe brings it to God. God agrees that it is not groovy and says that, yes, they should uh, be able um, to inherit property. Um, I think that that pretty much gets us through that. Rabbi Schatz, uh, do, do you see groovy in the psukim anywhere? Or did I make that up? The word groovy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think it's that. Okay, but but general gist. Um, and then we move into um, narrative about uh, succession, right? We know from a couple of weeks ago that Moshe is not going to enter the land with the people because he whacked the rock. Um, and so now we move into more of kind of the the practical pieces for what that means and looks like um, regarding the actual uh, passing on of leadership. And, and we're going to be honing in on a piece of that narrative this fine Friday morning. Um, God says to Moses, go up to the heights of Abarim. Uh, Rabbi Shatz, I haven't seen In the Heights yet. I still need to see In the Heights is what this is reminding me of. Um, and see the land that I have given the... Oh, Karen liked it. Uh, and see the land that I have given the Israelite people. Um, and when you've seen it, you shall be gathered to your king. You're, you're going to die just as Aaron uh, did. <clears throat> and he gives the reason here, because you disobeyed me, right? You, you disobeyed me um, through this incident with the water. Um, at one point, a very long time ago, 
uh, Rabbi Schatz and I were considering exploring these verses in terms of what this means. I was particularly interested in this idea um, of like the reasoning. I, I'm always interested in sort of why, why this happens the way it does. Um, and this phrase caught my eye as well. That, that like they were supposed to be sanctified through water in their eyes. That just struck me as, as an interesting turn of phrase. Um, so in a parallel dimension, Rabbi Schatz and I are exploring that in greater depth, but that is not the dimension we are currently in as far as I can tell. Um, God says back to Moses, uh, Moses says to God, um, God let uh, the source of the breath of all flesh appoint someone over the community, right? If, if I'm If I'm going, somebody needs to take over who shall go out before them, come in before them who shall take them out and bring them in so that God's community and a really evocative imagery here so that God's community um, may not be like sheep that have no shepherd hearkening back to his pre uh, leadership life. Um, and so here is where we are going to pick things up. We are going to ambitiously stake out not three verses, but four verses because we are just that crazy about Torah, right? Rabbi Schatz. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so we are going to be looking at chapter 27, uh, verses 18 through 21. Take for yourself, uh, the translation here is terrible, it's a single out, nope. Uh, take for yourself, Yeshua binun, ish asher ruachbo, a... The translation here says an inspired man, which I would also say, nope. Um, a, a, a man, um, that has ruach within him. And I'm gonna intense, intentionally leave ruach untranslated because I, I looked at that a good bit. If that's okay with you, Rabbi Shatz. Yep. Great. Uh, et yadcha alav. And you should place your hands upon him. Um, although there's some conversation about whether yadcha or yadecha, whether that should be a singular, uh, singular or plural. We'll talk about that. The hamata oto elifne Elazar Cohen. You should have him stand up before Elazar Cohen, who's now the high priest of elifne kolayda, and before all the people. Vitzivitach oto leinehem. And you should you see you see the word sivala, command him, but you should sort of. I guess we can go with commission. You should you should. Commandify him uh, in front of their eyes. Uh, and you should, man, I don't like this translation at all, Rabbi Shots. These verses are not well translated at all. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. And it says, invest him with some of your authority, I guess, and you should give from your Hode. I'm going to leave that untranslated for a moment as well. Uh, give uh, from your hood. Splendor. Splendor. Glory. Okay. Shots. You can talk about Kabbalah. It's very exciting. Oh. You should give some of your glory to him. So that uh, all the Israeli people should should listen to him. Uh, verse 21. And you should stand up before uh, the high priest, Elzar Kohen, Visha'al lo bimishpat ha'urim lifne adonai. I found this phrase to be very interesting, and I actually didn't find much on it, somewhat disappointingly. Maybe Rabbi Schatz did. Um, and he shall ask for him about the 
decision of the Urim before God, right? The, those of you who remember various amulets in ancient Near East history, um, that we had the Urim and Tumim, right? The, the sort of high priest's breastplate that also was a, a sort of a proto Ouija board uh, that would be consulted for sort of some decisions that would be made for all the people. Rabbi Schatz really liked that metaphor. Um, Alpiv yetuv alpiv yavau, according to his mouth they shall go out, and according to his mouth they shall come in. Hu vechol b'nei Israel ito vechol ha'ida. And again, the, the grammar here is is kind of weird, I would say. Uh, him and all of b'nei Israel with him and all the people, right? Which is just sort of an odd, oddly constructed last phrase to close things out. Um, but, but this is God telling Moses about how it will happen that, that authority and leadership will be transferred, uh, over to Yehoshua, which is why we, we stuck with the four verse chunk. Rabbi Schatz. Yes, Rabbi Shapiro. Over to you. Okay. Um, any kushiot, any questions? There are, Lots of kind of metaphorical phrases here. Um, so any questions about either meaning or what's going on or why does it have to happen this way? Anything like that? For those listening on the podcast, we have a smaller group today, so we might not have as many kushia, which is totally fine. Rabbi Shapiro and I will be happy. I'm, 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 I'm chock full of kushia. Can we get t-shirts that say that? No. Hi, Eliezer. Why did we... Well, go ahead. You muted yourself, Renee, mid-sentence. Why was Eliezer appointed the uh, spokesperson for him? Okay, great. So what was so special about him or why him? What was his role? Uh, great. Fantastic. Denise. Um, okay, so so the thing about Hodecha. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, so I got this calendar for Sfirat HaOmer. Mm-hmm. I it was like, it was very groovy, Rabbi Shfira. So it had like all these illustrations and then each week had a different theme and yeah. then they all combined like on the multiplication table. Yeah. So, so Hode had like a bunch of translations. And so one of them was splendor and stuff, but then it was also connected to thankfulness. Yeah. Like Toda, and then it was also connected to humility. I forgot how, but mm-hmm. but there was all this stuff about humility. So I just thought that was kind of an interesting thing mm-hmm. that that first that it, they picked something multifaceted to mm-hmm. invest him with, and the, and then just like having those things connected to each other mm-hmm. is kind of nice. Yeah, like, right. I think it's nice that like for a leader that there would be splendor, but also gratitude and humility at the same time. Yeah, great. So you're bringing up a really interesting point that they could have used just one very specific adjective, right? Or, or I, yeah, I'll stick with adjective, um, to be able to explain what kind of leader they would want. But what you're, what you're bringing up for us, Denise, is that this is a word not only that it is hard for us to maybe define based on the different meanings that we know, but also just has different aspects to it in general though that if you're using it in one way it might mean one thing and if you're using it another way it might mean another thing and so too with leadership that if you are leading a funeral it's very different than leading a wedding very different than than giving a sermon right there's different kinds of leadership 
that bring with it different attributes um, of that leader. So that's a really beautiful way of of wondering around that particular word um, and why it was used as opposed to something maybe a little bit more specific. The, the only thing I'll add to that is, you know, it's, nice new name. Thanks. I think chalk. Is that how chalk is spelled in that phrase? Yeah. How else would it be written? Okay. All right. Hoke. Hoke full of cushiot. Yeah. Okay. Um, Denise, I would just sort of like reverse the linguistic flow, right? That there, there's this word hod that appears first in the Torah and that over time gets imbued and invested with like different layers of meaning, right? So mm. it, it might hold a certain phrase here and actually, uh, uh, at least from what I saw, it, it's held up as like a source text for like a couple of different ways in which the concept evolves over time in the mm. tradition, right? Like, I don't know what hod originally meant in 1200 BCE, and over time, because rabbinic Judaism does what it does and has layers and layers of meaning to things over time, mm-hmm. um, I think it, it acquired some of those different pieces and recognizing that, yes, like Hod and Todah and Hodayah and all of that stuff, right? That's clearly in there and probably also had that splendor idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and just that those layers get invested over time. And to add, yes, it's also, it's also one of the, she wrote right so that that's that's part of why it showed up in your or core reason why it showed up in your groovy uh Svirata homer book renee I, I knew you'd find a way rabbi shapiro to tie this into srugim with hodaya <laughs> okay that um so my question is why did they need to give have specific instructions of how to go in and how to come out was it based mm-hmm. on like tribes was it based on like the first the important people led the line and then the less important people? Yeah, it's, it's a great, there's a lot of choreography in the Torah in general, specifically around leadership and around the temple, interestingly. Um, so it's a great question. Why, why this specific choreography for this specific moment for these specific people? Um, and what went into deciding on that choreography? Um, great question. And the answer is? I don't know. Well, we're doing Kushiot, not Chubot. <laughs> Got it. Thanks. Uh, any others? I'm Marlies. Yeah, Mark, Mar- go ahead. Um, I'm sorry if this was addressed already. Uh, the the Urim, what, what, what is that? Yeah, Rabbi Shapiro, I'll let him explain. I think he mentioned it earlier, but I'll let him yeah, explain. So, great metaphor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wait, maybe. Hold on a sec. Can I try to find a picture? Let me try to find a picture. Because sure. I know some of us are visual learners. Ooh. Very good. Um, so it looked a little. Some ooh, there's some very weird depictions of this on the internet, but I guess no one should really be surprised by that because it is, after all, uh, the internet. Um, so it was related to it, it was part of the garb of the high priest right so so something like this um that there were 12 stones of different colors that would sort of be like indicated in some way about how things should happen and we we don't know a lot about that process um interestingly to to 
break from the Kushio part of the program just briefly. Uh, a lot of, in terms of the question about like going in and going out, mu- much of what I saw on that was that it was actually related to, to like wartime, that it wasn't related to this specific ritual, that like that's the process through which decisions will be made about how to like fight the enemy, um, that it wasn't specifically located here, um, which does not seem to make sense within the context of the verse at all, right? Like why all of a sudden are we talking about that? Um, but, but, part of the ritual for how decisions were made uh, among the people was by consulting this, to which I'll add a kushia that I'm sure Rabbi Schatz has an answer for that I didn't find anything on, which is they're almost always described as the urim of the tumim, right? That that it's uh, a package deal. It's like, uh, you know, Abbott and Costello or, or Laurel and Hardy or other you know, comedy teams. Rabbi Schatz and Rabbi Shapiro. Mm-hmm. Um, Abbott and Costello, Laurel and Hardy, Schatz and Shapiro. That would be a t-shirt. Um, <laughs> that, that generally are, I'm going to sound weird now, that are generally considered to be inseparable. Um, and so to just see one or the other is, is a little unusual, but I also didn't find much on, on why that is. But Rabbi Schatz probably did. No, I actually didn't focus much on that verse at all. I mean, I, I found it interesting, but I wasn't as interested in that as the other three. So. All right. So maybe somebody on podcast land has something. Maybe. Podcast. Um, what? Podcast. What? Podcast. Podcast what? You're just very far away from your computer now. So I said Podcast Town, Podcastville, Podcast Land, Podcastopolis. Great. I'm glad you repeated that for all of us. Um, you wanted to know. You wanted to know. I was ready to let it go. Okay. I'm gonna mute myself. Um. Oh, that's interesting. Um. Okay. So I. One of the things I'm gonna share my screen so I can look at it and you at the same time. Um. One of the things that I was very interested in here was the was the word um, lecha here in the first verse. So it says, Like, what does it mean to take Yeshua for yourself? One of the things that Rabbi Shapiro and I spoke about in terms of choosing these verses was that um, the the idea of leadership is quite interesting here, right? That we know that Moshe is not going to make it into the land. And so someone has to come after him. It's just like when someone decides they're leaving a position, that the person who comes in afterwards, they know that that person was there before them. And they kind of download all of the things that um, that, that person did so that they can then make their own decisions. Um, it's happened, I'm sure, to many of us in terms of transition and, and how, how we transition into something or out of something. So why does it say, take for yourself, right? It's not really for Moshe. You're not taking, when I took the position, I wasn't, I wasn't taking the position for Rabbi Ari Lucas. I was taking the position for me. I know you, I know you were there. I know you were there. I know, I know. Rabbi Shapiro, what am, what am I? What am I? What am I? liver. But but in terms of like, well, I'm being erased. This is erasure. This is erasure. This is Shapiro erasure. Okay, I wasn't taking the position for Rabbi Shapiro. I was taking the position for myself. 
So why would it say for Moshe, kach lechau, take, take him for yourself, take Yoshua for yourself? So what I found here is Rashi says that to take for yourself is to take one who has been examined by you, to take one who you're familiar with. So the lecha is not so much that you're taking the person for yourself, but rather that you yourself have decided who is going to take that position following you. So in a, it's actually a, a poor example to use my own position um, because Rabbi Shapiro nor Rabbi Lucas hired me. Um, but when it comes to succession, it is important for the person who is leaving to know who is coming into their spot so that you know what they're capable of, so that you hope that they can continue on with certain things that you started. So what Rashi's saying is that lecha was not to say for Moshe, but rather that Moshe was able to see what in Yehoshua was available that would continue on this legacy, this leadership that he had put out into the world. Um, any thoughts on that? Or Rabbi Shabir, do you have anything to say on that? It, it's interesting because it seems to, like, I, I like it, and it seems to very much run counter to a lot of what seems to be communicated, like that that Moses says please pick someone. And God says, here's the one who you should pick. But this is almost completely inverting that. Right. Right. Which, you know, it makes, it makes it feel like a more um, collaborative conversation about who should be next, which is very interesting because the, the shot of the text definitely does not seem to indicate that. Right. Well, that's why I think the, the, phraseology of kachlecha is so interesting because it really isn't for yourself, right, in any way that we're seeing it in the Torah. And and if you're to read Rashi into that, all the more so, it doesn't really make as much sense as you're saying. Yeah, Denise. So could it mean like, like take him for yourself, like take him under your wing kind of and be a mentor to him? Yeah, I think that's what I, that's what I expected it to mean. Um, but I think that what I think that what what the Torah seems to be saying is that this is just going to be a guy who does a, who does the leadership the way that Moshe does leadership, right? And so I I believe that what Rashi is getting at is exactly what you're saying, Denise. That it's not so much that that the person is going to be there when you no longer are able to lead, but rather that this needs to be a person who can download from you all the things that you were able to do to lead this people so that they too can have that success moving forward. Um, Robert Shapiro, I don't have anything else on that particular word, though I do have a lot on the smicha piece. So I don't know where you, where your stuff fits in, but I don't want to go too out of order. Well, I have. I you'll be shocked to hear that I was very interested in the Hode piece, so uh, I explored that a bit. Okay. Um, I was also very interested in the uh, Asher Ruach bow yeah. phrase, um, which right. slots in pretty much right in between Kachacha and the Smicha. So right. I can I can speak to that. Um, yeah, I have one thing on that, but I'll let you go first, and you probably have the same thing. So you do you do you, and then I'll go after. Did you say you do you? Is that what we're doing? I did. You. I'm not doing me. I, I'm, I'm doing rabbis. It's not about me. I'm just a vessel for. That was beautiful. Thank you. Um, I found three and a half different understandings of what ruach might mean. I'm sure there are more. Um, but just this phrase that seems to be the, the primary qualifier for what makes Yehoshua 
um, a fit to take over next. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways of understanding what, what that might mean. Um, <laughs> and, and a lot of them seem to be not at all, again, like what, what the shot would suggest, right? Cause Ish Asher Ruach Bo, I think could, would most simply be translated as, um, a man who has spirit in him, right? That, that the sense of like going all the way back to, uh, to the very beginning, uh, Ruach Elohim, right? This sense of Ruach being connected to, I, I, when I, growing up, I learned the, I, I can still, still chant the first few verses of the Torah. Those are, those are pro. Okay. I will sign you up for Simchat Torah. Um, so very closely connected to spirit, to God. So it like on its face, it already makes sense, right? Big Mo, best of all time. He's the goat. He's the greatest. So who do you want to have take over? Somebody else who has that that same uh, an approximation, uh, some close version of of having that ruach, of having that connection. Okay. And uh, there's a lot of different readings of it that that do not seem to see it that simply. So Sforno is the one who I found who was closest to that. Sworno said someone who is ready and worthy to be presented to Melech Malchai Amachim, to the, to the King of Kings, right? Which, which seems to be close-ish to a pshat read, right? Who, what does it mean that he is Rachbo? He, he's, he's ready. He's worthy. He has like divinity in him in such a way that, that he's already close to God. So that, so that, that was that. Um, Ha'emek Davar made the comment. He said, yes, a man in whom there is spirit, but he, he had like an interesting sort of addendum to that. He said that is he is independent in his views and he is not drawn after urges for his own pleasure or that of others, which again, does not seem to be the shot, right? Or at least it's an explication of having a ruach that is not what, what immediately felt intuitive to me, right? He's, he's independent. He sees things his own way. Um, and he has basically he has impulse control, which sounds like a, a fascinating experience to have in this life. Um, but but he has the ability um, to act what he has the ability to actually um, to, to press pause. And that's part of what qualifies him as a leader. So he has spirit. But what that means is independence and self-control, which which is interesting. Like that's that's an interesting one two punch in terms of qualifying him for leadership. Um can I, can I just, can I insert mine here for one second? Cause I think it's connected to that. Of course you can. Okay. Look at that self-control. Look at that. Good job. Qualified for leadership. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm independent in my views. All right. My turn. Um, so Rashi says that, it, and actually it's from a Midrash, but it says that. That was going to be my, that was going to be my next one. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course. Connects, how can I leave? How can I leave Rashi out? It connects, can I? Can I do? Can I do my half? Because I have a half, and then I'll 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 leave Rashi to you, Rabbi Shots. But I was going to close with Rashi. Okay, fine. Go ahead. Okay. 
I appreciate your self-control and <laughs> your independence of views. You're so qualified to be a leader. Um, Rabinu Bakia sort of similarly reading like independence into this, mm-hmm. I, I think. Um, he quotes Sifre actually, but he says this means he has the emotional fortitude to brave all opposition. Right, which is like related to independence and related to self-control, but seems to be a little bit different that like he's going to be a leader sometimes, uh, right? When you're a leader, people don't always agree with you. I have never experienced, but maybe Rabbi Schatz has, um, that part of being a leader means being able to sort of take the fact that not that, that, that people are going to disagree with you. And that's what this idea of, of Ruach is. So again, like lots of different readings of this, which you know, as is often the case, like if you bundle all of them up, seems to make it a very rich, evocative phrase. And and what does it mean? Like, yes, right. I think it's possible to see it in all of those ways, including the way Rashi reads it. Rabbi Schatz, over to you. So I think that <clears throat> that the Rashi piece goes back to who was it? Hamik Davar right before the last one you just did? Yeah. Um, because Rashi says, I'll read it, it's someone who is able to deal with the character of each one, meaning each person. Um, and I think that there's something really beautiful about being able to to say that you have this spirit in you, but the spirit that you have in you actually makes you more aware, more conscious, and more connected to each and every person based on their attributes. So it, it takes it away from the person themselves and kind of when we think of Ruach, we might think of like a spirited person and actually makes it someone who is just more intuitive or more perceptive or more empathetic, you know, whatever it is to the, to the people who are, who are around you. Were you going to say something different about that, Rashi? I was just thinking it took every ounce of self-control I had to not break out into a, we've got Ruach. Yes, we do. We've got Ruach. How about you? But no, I was able to share that. So I feel better. Um, yes, I, you were, you. Yeah, I thought it. I just didn't do it. <laughs> wow, you're a better leader than I am. Um, yeah, it, it is interesting how it's inverted that, that it's, it's, not about something, well, it is something he that is in him, but something in him that makes it possible for him to like. Exactly. And, and, and I would say I, I love that reading, right? He, and he takes it from, takes it from Sifre, like it's in the Midrash. And of all of the reads, to me, it is the least intuitive one. Right. Like, like, yeah, Ruach Bo, Ruach Bo, it like seems to be speaking to something in him, yeah. spirit, individuality, ability to withstand opposition. Like he has Ruach. He has something in him that qualifies him for leadership. Yeah. And this, I mean, right. If, if Rashi's quoting it, it's, it's taking hold is like a core rabbinic understanding for what this phrase is. And to say that like, so it's, it's someone who can deal with each person as an individual. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. That's something I aspire to. I think that's really important. It's an amazing thing when you encounter a leader who's able to connect on an individual level with each mm-hmm. person who's sort of in their charge. That's incredible mm-hmm. and exceedingly rare. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I don't think it's what Ashera <laughs> means. Like, I just, I, I, I don't think that's what that's what that phrase most readily seems. Well, could it mean this is like a very poetic reading of it? But could it mean that? 
in being able to feel for other people or understand that which they have within them, it creates a different kind of spirit in you. Like if I spend enough time, we'll just go off of our Abbott and Costello, you know, relationship here. Um, If I spend enough time with you and I take on certain aspects of your personality, that has now changed my personality. That's changed my ruach, right? That's, That's made me, because I am aware of that which, um, makes you up, right? That, that you then create your own ruach. And so maybe, maybe it's actually a little bit more fluid than the other rabbis are seeing it to be that, that, that a share ruach bow means that he has within him also the aspects of all the other people who have influenced him. And that's what makes a good leader because he's no longer just himself. He's also made up of all the different aspects of the people around him. I think that's a lovely. I think that's lovely. And you don't agree. I, I have a hard time, and, and I might be missing a grammar piece or a linguistic association. I just, when I read the phrase "asher ruach bo," the the concept of ruach seems to beg interpretation, right? What yeah. does that mean? I it it also pretty clearly to me seems to be like a a type of leadership trait within Yehoshua rather than like the ability to recognize the individual individual individuality of each individual person. Right. So. Yeah. Okay. But it's a lovely concept and something to aspire to. It's a beautiful idea. Great. Thanks. Um, <laughs> do you want to do your, your smicha song and dance? Smicha stuff. It's not a song and dance. I, so for those of you, you probably know, but th- when a rabbi becomes a rabbi, there's a ceremony called smicha. Um, and smicha is quite literally a, a rabbi who's actually a rabbi at that point, um, putting their hands on your head, your shoulders, you. Um, knees and toes. What? She's got head, shoulders. Oh, knees and toes. Very good. You're just full of lovely camp songs today. Um, I told her knees and toes isn't a camp song. Okay. Um, and that that action of putting hands on the person who's about to become a rabbi is called smicha. Uh, and they say words to you depending on your movement. It's done differently um, and by different people. At, at Ziegler, you choose who's going to give you smicha. So you choose someone who is going to put their hands. I think they put their hands on your, I don't actually remember that part. Um, but they put their hands on you to say you are ready to be a rabbi, but you, the, the rabbinical student chooses who that person is. And I remember very early on in my fifth year of rabbinical school, thinking about who I would want that person to be. And I was blessed to have a very long list um, of people who I wanted up on that BEMA with me. And it ended up coming down to who were the people that were that were kind of there from the beginning that didn't just influence me throughout my rabbinical school studies um, and who had great influence on me that, that I was going to you know take with me for forever, but who really was the impetus for me to actually become a rabbi in the first place. And that's how I chose. That's not how everybody chooses, but that's how I chose. Um, and ultimately, I chose to have Rabbi Aaron Alexander uh, and my dad uh, be the people who who presented me and gave me smicha. 
So I was particularly interested in this word to, to make a new leader because for a rabbinical student, it's a moment of leadership for sure, but you don't necessarily think of it as a transitioning of leadership, right? My dad is not a rabbi, but he was able to give me smicha. Rabbi Aaron Alexander is a rabbi, but at that time was in a very different position than the one that I was about to be taking. So it's not the same kind of thing that's happening in our Torah where you're giving someone else the leadership that you have. It's just that you're giving them the qualities of leadership, hopefully that they're going to then put out into the world. So the pieces that I want to bring here, um, I won't do all of them just for sake of time. I'll let Rabbi Shapiro finish um, with whatever he was interested in. Um, uh, so this one is just a very quick one, but this is Ibn Ezra. And basically Ibn Ezra is talking about this. Um, do they, it's, is it, hold on. I just want to say it correctly. Yeah, Vesam, Vesamachta, uh, which is funny because if you don't look at it, it sounds like the word for like to be happy. <laughs> um, but Vesamachta et Yadecha, right? And to put their, to put, uh, his hands on him. To sh- and it, Ibn Ezra says to show Israel, to show the community that he was now going to be in Moses's place, that he was going to take over for Moses and that he was the one that Moses had placed, uh, his hands on, right? That he was the one who was going to take on after him. So again, to go back to just the rabbinical school experience, right? That's not exactly what is happening, right? You're not, you're not taking over a role. You are just taking on a similar role to the person who's giving you that smicha. But interesting that in this particular leadership transition, that Moses, that it's, that Ibn Ezra at least is understanding this as he was going to now take Moses's place, Right. That by Moses putting his hands on him, that all of a sudden it's as if if you're watching a movie like Moses fades out of picture and and Yahushua comes into the picture, that they actually switch places completely just in this one act of of um, Smicha. Well, we're using very similar commentators, today, which is very interesting. Um translates this to say that so that he, uh, Yahushua, Joshua, will have divine assistance to reach the truth and straight thinking. This is similar to smicha lehora'ah. So, um, well, it says here, traditional authorization to judge cases. So being able to be close enough to something that you're able to teach from it or judge is what is how it's being translated here, which provides the benefit of divine assistance. For this reason, one who does not have smicha may not render judgment, even though he is qualified because he does not have the divine assistance needed for this. So there's some kind of godliness to smicha, to being able to say, this is the person I am choosing in a very, in a very intimate moment of putting your hands on someone and saying, you are who I'm choosing, not just like, pointing across or saying a person's name, but really making sure that everybody knows this is the person who is ready for this moment. And Haimek Devar goes as far to say as that's also showing that God has approved of this kind of this moment, this decision. The last one I'll share is Rabbeinu Bachia. Um, I think, hold on one second. Yeah. Okay. Um, and he says this was to demonstrate to all of the Israelites that he'll replace you, right? This is a moment where now the community was seen 
sometimes it's harder to believe something until you see it, right? You need to see it to believe it. So the Israelites are now seeing that this is happening and therefore they know Moses is leaving leadership and he and Yoshua is coming in. Our sages in Sifre, which we've now quoted multiple times, understand this to mean that Moses was to provide Joshua with an interpreter who would announce all he had to say to the people so that the people would not say later that Joshua would never have dared speak up while Moses was still alive. Not sure that part is so important or interesting, but that this was a moment where even though Moses was still alive, Moses was showing the people that this was the decision that he had made. Again, going back to what we had talked about before, it's not clear if this was really a decision Moses had made or if he was told that this was a decision he was making. Um, but that that smicha, that that moment of, of physical acceptance, of physical, um, touching of, of really saying like you are the person who is going to take this on also allows the people to believe that this is the next step in their journey. Um, and, and I'll close with this and then let Rabbi Shapiro take over. But I think that that is, that to me is one of the most powerful parts of a smicha ceremony for rabbinical students, because it's not the moment of me saying, oh, I'm now taking over Rabbi Aaron Alexander's job. No, it's just that he has chosen me to be a person who can do in the world that which he has, you know, been trying to do in the world as well as a rabbi. So that that is a powerful moment that you that you find someone, you find those rabbis who will go to bat for you, who will say, I would put my I would place my hands on you in front of people to make sure that they know that you too are ready for this leadership and for this experience. Um so that just that moved me. It also is interesting that some of you heard me say this yesterday. It's interesting that um two years ago yesterday, I guess, I started at Betham and that, you know, part of that experience is is saying to a community, we've chosen a person to be part of our leadership. And and that goes a long way when when you're being chosen, when that smicha is happening for you, that people then see that there is some kind of acceptance, some kind of excitement, some kind of interest in what the leadership will be um, with the next person, in this case with Moshe and Joshua. Rabbi Shapiro. Renee has a comment. Oh, so, so it's it, in the smicha, both with, with uh, Joshua and with what you were talking about in terms of being a rabbi, it's, it's that these people that are, that came before you are entrusting you at, with a sense of belief. They believe that you can handle, that you can now handle this responsibility that is, that they're turning over to you. Right? Yeah. And I think that there's also, there's also the sense of, you've accomplished something, right? Like Yehoshua had accomplished something to reach that moment. Rabbinical students have accomplished, hopefully, a lot of schooling to get to that moment as well. So yeah, I think that, I think you're right. And there's that aspect of completion and celebration of that completion to be able to continue. It kind of reminds me of the thing when we do the oop sharing for the, for the boys, you know, and they, it's, it's also, it's, it's one of those, um, rites of passage, I guess, you know, where they've accomplished, they're, they're now entering another stage of life, just like mm-hmm. the rabbinical students have learned all that they need to learn. Now the, mm-hmm. the boy chicks are ready to take on the learning. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I think I think Judaism does a really beautiful job of those kinds of milestones in general. Um, for anybody in any you know any type of Judaism that you would have these different aspects along your path, an upshare and a bar mitzvah, customs around a wedding, you know that that point out those different stages of you've done something, you've gotten to this point, now you're going to get to a next point uh, through this ritual. Rabbi Shapiro, would you like to share anything or teach anything? I'm just thinking about, Renee, we also just had Rafi's up Sharon. His, his hair did a good job cutting his hair. We like tied it up. Uh, it's still long, but not as long. I was like looking at his hair this morning, actually. It's like, oh, it used, used to be longer. Um, I was just thinking how for so many of our rituals, there is like an actual physical, tangible component. Uh, is there for bar mitzvah? About mitzvah, like there, like a wedding, like there's like ketubah, there's ring that like there's hair, hair, bris, obviously, right, kfura, like you know, the almost so many of our ritual rituals have that like tangible component, and smich here too, it's like it actually a talis, right? Hands it, or bar bat mitzvah? Yeah. Or baruch tarani? I mean, yeah, baruch tarani isn't isn't. It's not physical, but it's yeah. reading from the Torah. There you go. I mean, it's not cutting hair, right? Like it's not. It's not. I that start doing. I start doing b'nai mitzvah haircuts. I'm gonna start doing b'nai mitzvah haircuts. In the on Shabbat, we're gonna start yeah. cutting hair on Shabbat. No, like we're gonna do. Oh. We're gonna do on-site pre-barbat mitzvah haircuts. Okay. It'll be a hit. Can't wait. It'll, it'll be. It'll be great. Mm-hmm. Um, Rabbi Schatz, was there anything else you wanted to talk about? I can talk about Hode for a little while, but I don't know if there's anything else you want. No, you can. I, we're almost. I mean, I have other things, but we're almost at time. So I, you should, you should feel free to share your pieces. I am free to share my pieces. Um, I'll just quickly pull up because there's something in the phraseology of all of this that a lot of the pieces I saw specifically refer to, which is um, in verse 20 when it says, Vidnatata mehodecha alav, that um, you should give from your, you should, you should give from your hood upon him, uh, that, that you should give him, and you can see it there, um, translated as invest him with some of your authority. And hode, as we were saying, it can be translated as authority. It can be translated as glory or splendor. Um, so I'll speak to that for a second, but in a second. But I'll also to say that um, a lot of rabbis pick up on the fact that it says mehodecha and not hodecha, right? That you should give from your authority, from your splendor to him, basically indicating that you're not giving all of it. Right, you're give, you're giving some of it, but not all of it, which there there are a, a few different comments about. Um, I'll, I'll I'll get to that in well, you know, I'll just I'll just go into that. I mean, there's plenty to talk about in terms of why giving the authority so publicly that it's important for the people to see Joshua as a leader, which makes you know kind of an intuitive sense. Um, Rashi goes less in the authority because it 
you know, like Denise was pointing out earlier, this this word holds a bunch of different meanings. Rashi really leans into the specific splendor piece, and he references back to a scene that 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 folks know, right? That when Moses comes down from the mountain, getting tablets 2.0, uh, that his his face is glowing. Um, that's Parsha Kitisa. How do I know that? It was my vav mitzvah, Parsha. Great. Um, that's people should know. I do you remember my bar mitzvah Parsha Rabbi Shatz? No. Okay. <laughs> Well, next year when we do this again, I'll make sure to point it out. Um, that Rashi specifically cites um, that that like Moshe is like transferring some of that glow, and the the rabbis pick up on this um, this verse as well. Um, and in the Talmud, I think this is where Rashi gets it, where there's a lot of talk about how. Moses's face was as bright as the sun, whereas Joshua's was like the face of the moon, right? So like still, still bright, but not as bright. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's a lot of commentary on like how, why is that the case? And, and how can it be like, you know, and, and again, with that mehodecha from your glory that you're not, you're not giving so much that it's, it's the full brightness, but it's still, very bright. And so I'll just offer two very, very quick pieces on that. One of which is saying, um, uh, this was from Rabbeinu Bachia, who talked about how, um, yes, like how um, the moon reflects the light of the sun, where, where the sun generates light. But then he makes a comment, don't forget that the sun also gets its light from God, right? So it's not Moses making this light in and of himself, that it actually comes from a higher source, which I think was interesting in terms of thinking about where glory comes from, where leadership comes from, where authority comes from, right? That there is ultimately a source um, that is greater than us, that transcends us. Um, And like I said, a lot of folks talk about this. Moses, son, Joshua, moon kind of situation, um, which seems to be kind of shortchanging and diminishing Joshua a little bit, right? Like, well, Joshua, he's, he's not the sun. He's only the moon. Um, apparently, this is a teaching from the Likutei Yehuda, which I learned is a collection of teaching from uh, the rabbis of Gur, the Hasidic rabbis of Gur. So uh, go, everyone, pick up your five-volume set of Likutei Yehuda today. Um, but... There's a comment in there that talks about how each leader should be appropriate for each generation. So it's actually not not having anything to do with Joshua. It's that Joshua, based on where that generation is at, is the right leader for that generation. Now, we can have a very long conversation about how what a hard time the generation left Egypt had. Um, and you might think that, well, uh, this is the generation that's going into the land, right? Are they really that much, but they're not, the gen- maybe they're not the generation that was at Sinai, whatever it is. Um, but it is interesting to think about like extrapolating out from there um, that leader. And this gets back um, as well into the not intuitive, but still interesting notion that Rashi had about 
this Asher Ruach Bo referring to Joshua's ability to relate to each person as an individual, sort of here too, that Joshua is the way he is as a leader, because that's the leader that he needs to be for the people in that time. And so I think there's a lot of interesting pieces there in terms about what leadership and authority um, are really about. So that struck me as interesting. Denise is going to make a poignant comment that will no doubt wrap everything up beautifully. Right, Denise? Well, I didn't know. It was sort of an impulse to raise my hand. Ah, there you <laughs> go. Uh, you and I, Denise. <laughs> so <laughs> when you talked about just the right person for the moment, um, after President Biden was the winner, somebody was doing like a retrospect on all these interviews with him and stuff. And there was, there was an interview in 2008 when he was running or seven, whenever that was, when he ran a couple cycles ago. And they said, you know, do you think this is your moment or whatever? They put all this pressure on him and, and he had like no ego. He said, well, if I'm the right man for this time, that will become clear fairly quickly. And if it doesn't, then that's okay too. He was, there was like no ego at all. It was all about, am I the right person right now or not? And then fast forward, he's very much the right person for this moment. And it just kind of ties into, I felt, to that idea of, like, just that a leader has to have that, too. That it's not, it's, it's like, from your hood, but not all of it. You know, that there's, like, do you know what I'm trying to say? I think so, yeah. The, the connection that there's, there the leader for the time and that it's also connected to this idea about what's being invested in Joshua as he moves forward. Yeah. Yes. I'm assuming, I can't see you, but I'm assuming you're giving me a thumbs up. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Is it just that somebody, that part of what makes a good leader is not having all that ego. Right. Right. It's, it's not about the leader. It's about how the leader can serve the people. And if the leader is the right leader for that time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I don't quite know how to wrap all this up. Does Rabbi Schatz? I mean, I think that 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 point brings us to all the different things we've spoken about today. That you know, the having a leader who can be someone who who takes in that which the community needs, so they can lead better, but also recognizes that they've been chosen, right? That that to use your example, Denise, right? Like it when when we vote for any president no matter if they end up being right or not for that time we the people have chosen them so that there is some element of even in a moment of smicha right you don't know that they might be right in that moment but you don't know what they're going to do in the future or you might say they're not right in that moment and they might be great in the future so i think that i think you're right that all these different pieces that we've talked about the Ruach and the Smicha and the Hod, right? They all come back to basically saying that if a leader is a person who can take in that which is around them and not make it just about them, but be able to make other leaders, be able to see other leadership and people who can come either after them or help them be the leaders that they are, um, that that's really the way for all of us to see ourselves as leaders in whatever we're doing, big or small, um, to to have every one of those aspects as part of it. So that's how I would lead. I mean, I would wrap it up. And Robert Shapiro is giving two thumbs up. So I guess that's it, folks. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. 
If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.